0: Welcome to season two of Faith and Freedom Fighters. I'm Robert Muse, co-founder and senior counsel of the American Freedom Law Center. And I am joined by my fellow co-founder, senior counsel and freedom fighter, David Yerushami. Busy week for David as he is finishing up a brief that we will be filing either uh, later today or tomorrow in the U.S. Code of Appeals for the Second Circuit, which is in New York City. And one of our many challenges to the obscene and tyrannical COVID-19 restrictions on our fundamental liberties. Uh, And this one is seeking to defend the right to free speech against restrictions that the state uh, of New York, as well as the city of New York, put in place to eviscerate that freedom during this current pandemic crisis, a crisis that the tyrannical left has exacerbated and used to exercise power over us, the people. So we are fighting back, and so should all of you by exercising your rights to assemble and to engage in free speech. You know, tyrants, they are bullies. And we need to push back. We need to let them know that we are not puppets, but freedom-loving, God-fearing patriots who love our country and hate what they are doing to us. So I'd like to welcome uh, my colleague, David Urashami. David, uh, you're the lead counsel on this. Really, it's a very important case that's now in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the uh, Second Circuit. So if you could uh, just kind of give us a little bit more uh, background,
1: that'd be great, thanks. Well, well, great to see you again, Rob. And um, this is an interesting suit. It began in early 2020 when the pandemic first started. If you all recall, when it first started, that's when all the mayors and governors started issuing all their edicts. And in New York, there was a complete shutdown and you could not go out and protest um, if you got together with more than one person. Well, eventually that limit became 10 people. And Can then you get it together became,
0: with a half a person? Yeah. Then
1: it, yeah. <laughs> then it became 25 people limit. Then it became 50. But in the interim, what they did was they said you couldn't publicly gather. Um, for non-essential gatherings. Well, many people considered First Amendment protests to be essential. They certainly have been considered essential uh, in the courts and by our founding fathers from day one. Um, But the city of New York, the mayor and Governor Cuomo, both the city mayor, de Blasio, and uh, Cuomo are now gone, of course. Cuomo famously kicked out uh, of the governorship, um, formally resigning. They opened up certain streets in New York City where you could gather to walk your dog, to uh, ride your bike, to go jog, to socialize. You could even protest with people as long as each group of protesters were six feet apart, both within the group and without the group, and you were under the limit. One person, 10 people, 25, whatever it was at the time. But in this area, you could have all these protests as long as their message was not the same message, because that would make them one group over the limit. So our client, Pamela Geller, famous First Amendment uh, activist, uh, has sponsored many protests in New York City, famously, uh, infamously. She was the lead um, opposition to the Ground Zero mosque. So she was perfectly prepared to to protest the draconian restrictions on free speech and otherwise against Cuomo and de Blasio, but they wouldn't allow her, they threatened her with arrest. And they formally did so. So we initially sued, um, and of course the lower court, federal court, dismissed our lawsuit. Uh, We went up on appeal, and in the interim, the George Floyd protest took place. And when they broke out, hundreds, thousands of people protesting, no masks, no social distancing, the mayor and the governor publicly embraced those protests. Keep it up, folks. Just don't be violent. Try to abide by our, you know, 11 p.m. curfew, but protest all you like. Pamela Geller and others like her, no protesting or you'll be arrested. So... Ultimately, we refiled our lawsuit to allege these new protests and this embrace. Not only did they vocally embrace these George Floyd Black Lives Matter protests, um, the New York Police Department actually joined them. Senior officials kneeling and holding hands, no mask, (laughs) no social distancing. And de Blasio actually Went out in the public streets, no mask, no social distancing with other protesters over the limit, painting huge BLM, Black Lives Matter uh, uh, symbols on public streets.
0: Yeah, wait. And wait, one footnote to that. Not just a public street. He did it directly in front of Trump Tower. Right. Right. To 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 even make an extra, you know, an explanation point on a political message that he was trying to convey meanwhile right. all of this again is it violates his very own edicts and orders right that's what that's what elitist tyrants do they impose restrictions on you and they don't apply them to yourselves one other point i want to make you made the comment you said well of course the the judge you know dismissed a lawsuit early on specifically and in, in, in particular i should say Um, it's, it's, we're, we're starting to see a little bit of a better results. Now, the judges were just scared. I mean, they were, they were just too frightened to protect fundamental liberties and they didn't. And it was, you know, Gorsuch made this point in one of his concurrences in one of the cases that finally kind of broke through where they started striking down some of these restrictions. And he made the point that look, when in times of crisis like this, you know, the judiciary cannot shelter in place, right? We can't, we can't just be dismissive of the constitution. Because when that happens, things don't go well. And I think that was almost a direct quote from him. And that's what we're seeing. Things have not gone well because we've had a spineless judiciary who is afraid to protect fundamental liberties.
1: Right. And so and just to make the point, we in the news in California, of course, the um, mayor of L.A., Garcetti and Newsom uh, were seen getting their pictures taken at the Super Bowl with uh, Magic Johnson with no mask and so forth, you know, violating their own, you know, protocols. And it's just the hypocrisy of the left. It's good for you, but not for me. Um, Coming back to our case, as Rob pointed out, they were scared. And what did they do? They reached back to a case over 100 years old, Jacobson v. Massachusetts, before the courts had really dealt with the incorporation of the First Amendment as applied to the states and so forth, and um, use that case where a vaccine uh, was, you know, mandate was permitted with essentially very little judicial oversight. Um, But it didn't apply because we have a 100 years worth of Supreme Court jurisprudence that says, no, 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 no. no. When it comes to the First Amendment, when it comes to free exercise, you can't just shut the churches down, the synagogues. You can't shut the streets down without abiding by the proper level of scrutiny. And in most cases, it's going to be strict scrutiny, which is a standard I'll let Rob talk about, which is very, very difficult for the state to overcome. In our case, we refiled the lawsuit alleging this embrace of the message of George Floyd, a content and viewpoint based discrimination between those favoring those demonstrations, but still preventing our client and others like her from demonstrating. And that's the worst kind of first amendment discrimination viewpoint based and requires strict scrutiny, a compelling state interest with a least restrictive approach um, and, Of course, none of that was abided by. So we sued again. And of course, the judge in our trial level, again, reaching back a hundred years to Jacobson and reaching back to our earlier lawsuit said, there's no real change here. Just because the mayor and the governor, you know, embrace and participate in George Floyd, that doesn't mean anything, you know, move on. So we appealed. Um, because the judge denied a preliminary injunction. And in the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, probably the second most important federal circuit court in the country. And we had a good panel, two Trump appointees and one Obama appointee. Unfortunately, after going after the state and the city and saying, how do you embrace George Floyd protesters, BLM, and yet tell us you're going to enforce this ban against Ms. Geller. How does that work? Well, at the end, the Obama judge, clever as he was, decided he was going to give the state and the city an out. And he essentially said, you're not really going to enforce this against Ms. Geller, are you, if you're embracing BLM? And the governor's yeah, with, with a said, nod and
0: a wink. You know, yeah, it was, just, it was yeah. so patently obvious what this judge- After, was having,
1: after having made us yeah. sue twice. Right, yes. and go to the, the circuit court twice. So, and, and the Trump judges let him do it too. By yeah. the way, yeah. So after being very good, because I essentially didn't have to say anything, the judges just went right after the city and the governor. So the governor's so. lawyer, yeah. So the governor's lawyer says, "Well, gee, we're not going to enforce this. We're going to let the city enforce it." So let me see if I understand that position right. The governor imposes a restriction on First Amendment free speech rights because it's critically necessary to save lives. Yet we don't care if the city actually enforces it or not. We leave it up to them. Right. Who believed that? Nobody should, but of course the, ju- the court did. And then the city attorney, when asked by the judge, you're not really going to enforce this, are you? She said, oh, well, I, I can't answer that right now. So he said, "We well, you have 24 hours to go back to your boss and in writing, I want an answer. They come back in 24 hours and say, nope, we're not gonna enforce this against Ms. Geller. So let me see if I understand this right. This critically important life-saving imposition on our First Amendment rights, violation of our First Amendment rights, which is critically necessary to save lives. Without it, people are going to die. That's what we're being told in court All of a sudden the governor is not going to enforce it and the city is going to allow thousands tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of blm protesters to violate their edict without any enforcement and now because our client sued it's not going to be enforced against her so i asked the question if it's not being enforced against the hundreds of thousands of BOM protesters, and because my client had the audacity to actually sue, it's not going to be enforced against her. Then why do you have it? Yeah. Why would you impose it on anybody else? They're going to have to sue you as well to have the freedom of speech. That's so patently unconstitutional. It's, it's arbitrary. It's capricious. It's underinclusive. It's all the things that we argued. And so that's where we are after they made this declaration, we went back to the district court and the governor and the mayor's attorneys filed a motion to dismiss. And the same district judge said, nothing to see here, we dismissed the lawsuit. It doesn't matter that the governor and the mayor are not going to enforce it against Ms. Gower or against BLM, none of that matters. This is a constitutional infringement of free speech and I don't much care. So now we're back in the Second Circuit on appeal again on the substantive issue of this lawsuit. Did this violate Ms. Geller's First Amendment rights? And we are filing our opening brief shortly and then we'll wait for the opposing brief, our reply brief, have our oral argument and see if the answer is going to come down better. We will say this, as Rob pointed out, in two New York cases, Roman Catholic diocese and Agudas Israel, one for the Catholic church and one for Orthodox Jews, they sued um, the city and state on the um, restriction that closed, essentially closed down churches and synagogues. And they lost at the trial level, they lost at the second circuit level and got to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court said, no, 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 you can't just do that. Um, the old case of Jacobson doesn't count we go by current constitutional principles and you have to have survived strict scrutiny. You better have a compelling state interest and a, a least restrictive means. Um, this, this stuff of just closing churches and synagogues down but leaving open uh, bars, marijuana dispenser, whatever it is that you leave open. They left open, oh, they left open uh, betting facilities. Uh, because, of course, betting money is very important source of revenue for the state. But churches, <laughs> synagogues, the right to free, to free exercise of religion, not so important to the city and state of New York. So that's where Gorsuch made the comment, we're not going to shelter in place just because you're claiming pandemic. You better show a, a clear basis under constitutional jurisprudence to shut down the free exercise of religion, and our argument using Gorsuch's opinion. Um, and even the Second Circuit, because of Buddha Yisrael came back down. And of course, the trial judge again denied religious freedom. But the Second Circuit said, no, you're going to have to abide by the Supreme Court's ruling. Um, free exercise trumps even a pandemic, if you're going to allow other places to remain open. All
0: right. and And so just a, a quick couple of points. Bear in mind, they did not rescind the executive order, right, which itself is an ad hoc. It's not a legislative uh, you know, process. It's the executive who's issuing these orders pursuant to some enabling legislation. But they didn't even rescind it. They just said, oh, we're not going to. And, and there's nothing in the executive order that says this. They just made a representation of the court. We're not going to enforce it. So there's nothing binding on them in any way. I mean, they could change their mind at a whim and say, well, you know what? We told the court this day we're we're not going to do it. But, you know, tomorrow we just might because for these reasons or whatever. Right. And But then the other thing, just in slight defense of those two Trump judges on the appeal, the first appeal, that was for a motion for a preliminary injunction. It's, right. it's a preliminary ruling, and it's to get an injunction to allow you to exercise your rights, as it were in this case, First Amendment, while the case is proceeding. So it, it, it's not a, technically a ruling on the merits. And so for them to say, look, well, we're not gonna enforce it right now is a way to kind of to subvert the, you know, because they, they consider preliminary injunctions extraordinary relief. So they, I could see the Trump judge say, okay, well, look, you can, still, you can still protest while this case is going through, but we're gonna get another shot at this on the merits because this is just a preliminary ruling. So this is going up now on the merits. So that nonsense that we saw during the preliminary injunction hearing should not apply here because we have other, you know, you have declaratory relief and other claims besides just a preliminary injunction. We're looking for a permanent injunction that would apply. So it's a, so the landscape's a little bit different now that we're up there on the, uh, on the merits. And uh, hopefully, you know, this case will be one where we prevail. We don't prevail in the second circuit. We'll do a petition for certiorari and go um, to the U.S. Supreme Court. Yep. So. Let me uh, transition from there. Also, tomorrow, David, again, he has the, the busy week this week. He's going to be arguing an extremely important case in the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of California in a lawsuit against Twitter and the Biden administration for conspiring to suppress free speech. And now the case has been signed to a left-wing judge, really, in San Francisco? <laughs> what a surprise. No surprise. And, you know, as we say often, while he may be the first to rule on this, He certainly won't be the last. And this lawsuit was filed on behalf of Colleen Huber, a United States citizen who resides in Maricopa County, Arizona. She's a naturopathic, I think is the way you pronounce it, medical doctor Mm -hmm. licensed in Arizona. And she was blocked from Twitter uh, because she posted information about COVID from reliable sources that did not comport with the Biden administration's agenda. Um, This wasn't an accident. This was Twitter doing the bidding of the government. A little constitutional law 101, and you've probably heard it because this, you know, these these issues of social media censoring people is, you know, is front and center, certainly in a lot of conservative news. Constitutional law 101: You need state action, right? Twitter, independent acting alone, is uh, can't violate somebody's constitutional rights. They are a private actor. The Bill of Rights is a break on the power of government, and so you need to have state action to trigger constitutional protections. Well, there are several ways to get state action. Is one of the and one of them is if you can demonstrate that there was a conspiracy between the government actor and the private actor. Now, you know when you say conspiracy, right? You, that you hear that said all all the time now. Oh, conspiracy theory, right? That that has become you know a popular way to dismiss arguments and claims by just claiming oh it's a conspiracy theory. From a legal perspective, uh, a conspiracy is a legitimate legal claim whether it's a civil conspiracy or a criminal conspiracy. It's a very real thing, real thing. You know, we have criminal drug conspiracies, for example, are prosecuted practically every single day here in the United States. And you can't conspire to commit a a crime, obviously. You can also conspire to violate civil liberties, such as the right to free speech, which is what happened here. To prove a conspiracy, all you need is an agreement which can be proven circumstantially. You don't need direct evidence. You don't need a you know a signed contract or some signed written agreement to show that. Look, yeah, we you know Twitter and the Biden administration entered into this contract to violate the constitutional rights of uh, of Dr. Huber in Arizona. No, you don't need that. You can use circumstantial evidence to demonstrate that there was a, a conspiracy, and we've done that. And the only thing you need an agreement, and you need an overt act an overt act in furtherance of the conspiracy. Obviously the overt act was the fact that they shut down her Twitter account. And so you can get state action here. The government in Twitter, not surprising, they moved to dismiss. We fully expected them to do so. Uh, it's, the, it's the very common uh, first move when you file a civil rights lawsuit. They claim, you know, failure to state a claim, no state action. But under the, under the rules, under the, the motion to dismiss rules, the court must accept our factual allegations as true and all the reasonable inferences that you can draw from those uh, allegations in our favor. And uh, we'll see if the judge does so here. I'm not holding out a whole lot of hope necessarily, but if he follows the proper legal standard for a motion to dismiss, we win this round and we move on to discovery. If he dismisses, we appeal. And so that's the, uh, that's the high altitude on this case. And David, you're going to be uh, arguing this on, uh, on Friday um, in the Northern District of California. Please uh, add, set some light on this.
1: Well, I think you covered it pretty well. You know, the, the bottom line is going to be whether or not the judge is going to accept the standard that's appropriate for a motion to dismiss. And as you point out, At the early stage of a motion to dismiss, all there is is a complaint, and there's no other evidence allowed. It's essentially whatever you properly allege, the judge has to accept it as true, and all reasonable inferences that come from those facts is true. But we have clear evidence that Twitter and the Biden administration, and in fact, the other social media giants, um, conspired with the Biden administration to shut down speech that was critical of vaccines, and that was the specific issue why Dr. Huber was suspended and ultimately terminated from Twitter, because she posted just a link without commentary to a legitimate newspaper story about bad outcomes in Israel being more than what were being reported by the government itself. And for that reason, she was terminated. They didn't do an investigation Twitter as to whether or not um, the news story was accurate or not. They didn't. It just was critical. Dismissed. And so that's going to really be the test. Um, As Rob is often heard to say, we hold our nose in the district court and we wait till we get to the appellate courts, the higher level courts. That one have more than one judge and typically a, a little better quality of judge. Um, And so we're hoping that at least at that level will prevail. What's going to be interesting in this case and in New York, if we win in New York, for example, and the case goes back down to the district court and the motion to dismiss that was granted by the district court is reversed, what happens in New York? We start discovery. And what's going to be interesting is that Had de Blasio and Cuomo still been in office, it would have been very difficult for me to take their deposition and find out exactly what their positions were. Why did they do this? What was the rationale? Um, Now that Cuomo and de Blasio are out of office, they're going to be the very first people I depose. So isn't that going to be fun? And trust me, I will have them videotape. Um, By the way, Rob, um, if you can, you can post the link to the hearing tomorrow, which will be Friday um, at uh, February 4th at 10 a.m. Pacific time. And the public is allowed to go and and listen. You won't have a chance to participate beyond listening. But the link is public and it's provided at the court's website. um, And maybe we can provide it on our website as well.
0: Yeah, what I'll do is I'll. Um, we have a case page for all of our cases. If you go to our website, AmericanFreedomLawCenter.org, and you look at the top, some of the tabs, it's cases. Go to the case page, or just search for the Huber, H-U-B-E-R, or Twitter, and you'll pull up the the case, uh, Huber versus Twitter. And uh, down in the uh, case update info at the bottom, I'll put a, uh, I'll post a link, so they could uh, they could go uh, listen listen in on the uh, on that oral argument tomorrow that way. Very good. Hey, I, I want to. This this is kind of a good transition. This uh, you know, this Twitter case, right? Because all you've been hearing is about well, all this misinformation, right? We the uh, I what didn't CNN start some you know some group or something that's going to be scrutinizing, uh, you know th- whether or not something is is misinformation. There's all this controversy over Joe Rogan and his and his podcast. It's all misinformation, and you know these uh these uh, washed out. Uh, Superstars, and <laughs> some of, are, you know, wanting to pull their their songs off of uh, podcast, off of uh, Spotify, of a Spotify, if uh, Joe Rogan, so on, all this, right? All this censorship, all these, you know, these these hippie musicians who are all about, you know, Rage Against the Machine. Now, all of a sudden, are part of the machine, and want to shut down free speech, and that's absolutely what this whole uh, Twitter, Biden. Um, you know, conspiracy is, is all about, is, is shutting down speech that they don't like, right? So it's all about, oh, misinformation. Misinformation is so harmful. We got to shut down all this misinformation. I heard somebody make a comment on, on a conservative, I forget which uh, station or show it was, but it was it was the appropriate one. He's like, oh, I'm all for this. I'll, I'll be the one, I'll you know, we should censor misinformation so long as I'm the one who gets to decide what's misinformation, right? That's the bottom line, is who's but, you know, got the power to say, What is and what is not is the one who reigns power, and that's tyranny, and our First Amendment does not prohibit that. How do you determine what is good information or what is bad information? You let it all out, and it's called the marketplace of ideas, right? It's one of the most important fundamental concepts of our constitutional republic, and it's one of the fundamental concepts that the left cannot stand. Why? Because they're the purveyors of misinformation, if you wanna see purveyors of misinformation. So, so let's talk about this, uh, you know, this push to shut down, right? We Is this push to shut down and cancel people out misinformation? But again, who gets to decide what is and what is not misinformation? Well, here's uh here's a. Let me pause you for just one example. second.
1: Go ahead. Yes. Let me just pause you. I want to come back to your comment because it dovetails into this on um, conspiracy. You know, um, today when the left uses the tag conspiracy against the right, it's a terror, it shuts down the conversation, right? You're a conspiratorialist. You're a January 6th conspiratorialist. In other words, um, from their perspective, or you know whatever it may be, a uh, vaccine conspiratorialist, from their perspective, when the right or conservatives um, or the, even the non-progressives, kind of a soft liberal, if they voice a view that's contrary to the accepted progressive narrative, then you're a conspiratorialist. But the left, the progressives talk about conspiracies absolutely with, with impunity. So for example, the January 6th conspiracy to overthrow the government, right? Um, the conspiracy by uh, George Bush and the, and the intelligence services to claim that there was weapons of mass destruction during the Iraq war to get us to go to war. Why? Because big oil, big free enterprise, the terrible capitalists wanted to make money off the war. Well, prior to COVID-19, what was the song and dance of the left? Big farm. They pushing their drugs on us, they're pushing their their high priced prescription drug. It's all a conspiracy with government bureaucrats. It's a terrible thing. We need a single payer mandate. We and we leftists need to take control of the government and force big farm to, to, to treat us right. We don't trust big farm. What's happening now? All of a sudden the left embraces big farm. They embrace bureaucracies and, and the government. Uh, to tell us that these vaccines are safe. Now, I've had the vaccine. Um, I won't get a booster unless forced to and for some reason. Um, and I took it only because in the under the circumstances, the risks to me were less than um, than what I needed to do uh, in order to ha- um, to have the vaccine I had to to achieve some end. But the point being is that we don't know. the the ultimate risk for these vaccines. God willing, they'll be perfectly safe in the long term. But the left simply embraces this notion that they're absolutely safe, there's nothing wrong. And why did they do that? Because Big Farm and the government bureaucrats have told them so. All of a sudden, that's biblical to them.
0: And and, uh, talk about like one of the greatest conspiracies, right? The Trump-Russia collusion. What about it? What a fabrication that was, right? Fabricated by uh, Hillary Clinton's uh, campaign, by the way, you know, and you have and embrace and
1: embraced by Obama and his administration, knowing that it was false.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So if you if you want to shut down misinformation, that really causes the loss of lives. Right. That's what they're saying with the whole Joe Rogan thing. Oh, you're 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 you know presenting misinformation that's going to cause people lives about COVID-19. If that's, if that's what the standard is, then the first person I would ban would be Dr. Fauci. I'd ban him from, from ever making another public statement, appearing on the cover of, of another magazine, or simply advising on public health policy. So here is what Fauci said about lockdowns. Quote, the fact that we shut down when we did and the rest of the world did has saved hundreds of millions of infections and millions of lives, end quote. Saved millions of lives. Do you mean costs countless lives? <laughs> very interesting. Fox News report about a John Hopkins study. This just recently came out. Again, this is John Hopkins, right? We're not talking about, you know, whether it be, you know, Glenn Beck or Joe Rogan or you name the person. This is John Hopkins. And this is the title of this of the story. Lockdowns only reduce COVID-19 mortality by point. study finds, not 2%, 0.2%. That's just the mortality of COVID-19. That doesn't account for all the collateral damage, I'll get to that, that these lockdowns caused. And this was the conclusion of John Hopkins' study, that lockdowns should be rejected out of hand. And here's, I'm going to read a couple of uh, segments from this story, which quotes from from the study itself. Lockdowns during the first COVID-19 wave in the spring of 2020 only reduced COVID-19 mortality by 0.2% in the U.S. and Europe, according to a John Hopkins University meta-analysis of several studies. While this meta-analysis concludes that lockdowns have had little to no public health effects, they have imposed enormous, enormous economic and social costs where they have been adopted. In consequence, lockdown policies are ill-founded and should be rejected as a pandemic policy instrument. Dr. Fauci, you are in violation of your left-wing misinformation campaign. He should be canceled. He should be shut down. He should be fired. They go on to say, we find little to no evidence that mandated lockdowns in Europe and the United States had a noticeable effect on COVID-19 mortality rates. But here's some other things. They said researchers concluded, though, that limiting gatherings may have actually increased COVID-19 mortality. And they go on to say from May of 2020 to April of 2021, the U.S. recorded 100,306 drug overdose deaths, a 28.5% increase from the 78,056 deaths that were recorded in the previous 12 months, according to the CDC. A study from the National Commission on COVID-19 and Criminal Justice last year found that domestic violence incidents increased 8.1% in the U.S. after the lockdown orders were issued. About 97% of U.S. teachers said that their students have experienced learning loss during the coronavirus pandemic. They go on to say, such a standard benefit-cost calculation leads to a strong conclusion. Lockdowns should be rejected out of hand as a pandemic policy instrument. So Fauci endorsing, promoting, calling for these lockdowns because somehow they're going to save hundreds of millions of infections and millions of lives. That is absolutely false. That is misinformation. In fact, the opposite is true. The lockdowns did nothing to reduce the mortality of COVID-19 and did everything to increase huge societal losses Including an increase of deaths from drug overdose and other societal uh, issues. So don't give me this misinformation nonsense. When one of your, you know, leading uh, leading proponents of all your COVID-19 policy, which is your basis for wanting to shut down Joe Rogan and others, is that one of the guy is one of the leading, um, you know, pro, uh, leading espouses of misinformation. So, anyways, I just uh, that study was uh, was remarkable. This uh, story that I'm citing to was uh, published February first of uh, of this year. Um, so, you want to shut down misinformation? I better not see Dr. Fauci's face on any more uh, TV screens or his voice on the radio anymore.
1: Get rid of the guy because he's just full of misinformation. So, let's break this down in, into the weeds a bit. So, Fauci gets up relatively early on. You know, a year into the thing whatever his statement was, but he was making that statement for a while. And of course, it was the basis for them making the decision to shut down the world, effectively. That the shutdown, the quarantining saved hundreds of millions of lives, whatever it may be.
0: Yeah, so, and how, do, how would you know that, right? In, okay, a, well, that's, that's the point. That's yeah. the point.
1: In other words, he's making that statement as some kind of scientific statement, but as we've lectured here on many occasions, all science does is measure. There had never been a shutdown like this ever before. Now, it's certainly true that if there's a virus that's infectious through breathing, either exhaling or inhaling, then... Certainly, if you take every individual in the world and you put them in solitary confinement, you're going to stop the spread, right? But um, that's all science knows. They can measure the fact that if you're not breathing in the virus, uh, people don't get the virus because it's not in the air. So that they know. And they know in small circumstances when you have very isolated virus infections, quarantining and so forth, does according to the numbers that you measure, prevent infection. But when you have this massive, highly infectious disease that's everywhere, you can't know what's going to be the result of quarantining. So that statement was not scientific because there was no science that would lead to it. And even later, when they see the, the numbers fall and rise and fall, That wasn't based upon any studies. So what do we have by the John Hopkins study led by someone that I know personally, Steve Hankey, who's a brilliant economist uh, and social scientist. He got together with folks in that field and did what Rob described as a meta-analysis. What is a meta-analysis? A meta-analysis simply looks at individual smaller studies that have been done measuring the effect of quarantining and isolation and shutdowns, and they have different methodologies and different populations, they pull them all together and they um, look at what they say as a collective, as an aggregate, when they take out the bad studies or the studies that don't seem to align with the proper methodology that they want to look at. And then they see what are the what are all these individual studies do? Because remember the scientific med- method is all about replication. You can always get kind of abnormal results for reasons we don't know. Sometimes you just messed up your study um, and there might be other factors. So what you do is you have to replicate. So a meta-analysis is a way to see has the individual study been replicated? So they take these and they say, you know, we see that Quarantining and isolation and shutdowns did not prevent deaths. Indeed, some of the studies indicated that isolation and quarantine actually increased the number of infections. People sheltering together in a single home and not getting out, getting fresh air, et cetera. Not the least of which the suicides, the drug overdoses, the violence, this depression, everything that occurred as a result of those shutdowns Weaving aside the economic and social consequences and political by the way, because of course we had entirely new voting systems which are certainly <laughs> subject to challenge. So Fauci's statement was not based on science. It was a policy statement based upon bad public policy analysis. It was simply a political statement to calm the masses. Now this comes right back to the progressives. When they want to doubt bureaucratic statements that are simply propaganda about war, about weapons of mass destruction, whatever it may be, they'll, they're screaming from the soapbox, right? So when Trump is president and the Republicans control Congress, government does nothing right. Everything's a conspiracy by the right wing Trumpians. When they're out of power and the left is in power, Everything the government says, everything Big Farm says, everything a bureaucrat says, absolutely not just true. You can't even challenge it. And if you do, you get shut off of Twitter. You can even get you know, charged with the crime, as far as we can tell. There's actually an effort that it, you know, if, if, if you go out and challenge the voting um, in the last election, you might get charged with you know, voter intimidation. So all of this goes to say that we have so politicized these issues that to trust anything that a bureaucrat says requires an incredible amount of Kool-Aid. You better be drinking that Kool-Aid without, without limit.
0: Yeah. And boy, this... Um... The direction the left is going is so dangerous, so tyrannical, you know, without the, uh, the protections of the First Amendment. And, you know, there you have Jen Saki there, as uh, Dan Bongino calls her, Peppermint Patty. <laughs> she's, you know, she's out there encouraging social media platforms to shut people down. Right. Nod and a wink. Um, and then we know that there's it was far more than a nod and wink between uh, between Twitter and the Biden administration, as we laid out uh, pretty well in our in our complaint. And as you will be arguing, I'm sure. Uh, Pretty well uh, tomorrow in the northern district of California. But this, uh, yeah, these guys, you know, this this whole misinformation campaign and you got Fauci out there who's, you know, he's the uh, the 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 chief uh, the chief advocate uh, for, you know, for for misinformation. (laughs) My goodness. He's science, right? The the hubris from him. He's he's after all, you can't question Fauci because he after all, he is science. You question Fauci, then you're questioning science well, I think this John Hopkins study was science and it shows that uh, Fauci's statements were false and were misinformation. So, right. hey, uh, we've, we've got um, about 10 minutes to, to go here. A couple of news stories I just want to touch uh, quickly. As we, uh, anybody who's been watching the news knows that Russia is uh, lined up on the border of Ukraine. And I, I, I've recently seen, you know, first the Biden administration made a comment that the invasion was going to be imminent and now apparently they've backed away from that or I don't, but there's a, you know, hundred plus thousand troops that they sent to the border of Ukraine. Now, I, and I find it very interesting that we are so concerned about defending the border of Ukraine while our Southern border remains a sieve, right? And we have all these concerns about COVID and yet we are letting COVID positive illegal immigrants invade our mainland. I just, I just don't get it. I, I, I think, uh, I think the American people are, are pretty sick and tired of what's uh, what's going on, particularly down in the in the southern border. And to think that we may lose or send, uh, you know, young Americans to defend the border of Ukraine, while we uh, we just leave our southern border wide open um, to all the, you know, the the drug trafficking, human trafficking, COVID-19, all the other ills that come in when you don't when you don't have a secure border. You, know, you don't have a secure border. You don't have a country. So it's so funny how all of a sudden now borders matter to the, uh, to the left when you're talking about another country, but it apparently doesn't matter when it's the United States.
1: Well, you, and, and that's exactly the right point at a deeper level. That is to say, for the progressives and the libertarians, by the way, nationalism, and let's take out the ism, um, national existence is a, is a racist, bigoted idea. The idea that people should be given different opportunities and different rights just by virtue of where they live is, a, is, is is hateful according to the progressives and the libertarians. And we shouldn't have borders. People should be able to go wherever they wanna go and you shouldn't be able to lock them out. That's their ultimate position. They use various arguments about asylum and so forth, but the reality is they oppose national existence. Ergo, they oppose protecting our borders from illegal immigrants. Obviously, these same progressives, when they have money, build huge walls around their homes, around their communities, their gated communities. They get their security guards. But let's move beyond that. And now let's look at Ukraine. National existence, if you're a nationalist, you're a fascist, according to the left, right? Trump, make America great again, was a nationalist, a xenophobe, um, a bigot, a racist. All of a sudden, nationalism for Ukraine is important. Why? If you don't believe in nation statehood, who cares if Ukraine is called Ukraine and run by its own people, they have their own rights, as opposed to being part of Russia, make it bigger. Make it like the EU, make it like the one world government that the left wants. If you really talk to a progressive, what they will tell you is what they really want is a one world government where everything is controlled around the world from the top down. And indeed this is what the progressives wanted when they saw the whole EU thing develop. They thought that was a wonderful development and, of course, there was talk about trying to implement the same kind of union between North America, Canada, the U.S., Mexico, Central America, to create these huge governments that ultimately, in their view, under a kind of UN-like entity, would be run by top-down dictators.
0: Yep. You know, the uh, when you think about this, this Biden administration, they are so weak. And in such a short period of time, they've so weakened America. And you can just look around this. This uh, I don't think uh, uh, Putin would have even even entertained the thought of moving one hundred something thousand troops to the Ukraine border if Trump had been the president. You look at what North Korea is doing. They've they've upped the ante you know, quite a bit with their missile launches. They, they went right back to that and they're working on their on their uh, short, medium range uh, ballistic missiles. You've got, you know, you got China with threatening Taiwan. I mean, it's just, America is weak right now. And in, in one of the things, have you seen the gas prices lately? I'm sure out there in California, oh my goodness. Or, or really the price about anything. You know, when Trump was president, we had achieved energy independence, think about that. We were a, next, a net exporter of, of fossil fuels. Gas was literally half the price, if not less. Now we are beholden, once again, to OPEC and these Middle East countries. you got the Biden administration begging them to produce more oil. Do you think they produce oil in a more environmentally friendly way than the United States does? I doubt it. So here you have all these environmentalists shut down all the U.S. oil manufacturing, drilling, the pipelines, but yet do everything over in the other countries, pay a lot more, and that is a huge national security issue on top of the fact that it's hurting us in the pocketbook. This administration is, it, it, it's, it's been way more destructive in such a short period of time than I thought. I thought it really, you know, maybe take two years, three years, not just months for the United, for everything that, that Trump was doing and moving us in a positive direction. For this administration who was handed so many good things from the Trump administration that just destroyed it overnight because of their left wing Wackos who you know this whether they be the the climate change people or whatever they're globalists. At the end of the day, they're globalists. They're tyrants, and we're and we're all suffering from it. And I'm hoping that they suffer from their actions during these midterm elections um, because we're going to have to make some serious changes in uh, in Washington D.C.
1: Yeah, you know I I don't have much to add to that because I think that really um, hammers the nail you know, when Biden first came into office, he shut down the pipeline from Canada, right? And after hundreds of millions of dollars of investments and and studies and, and, and actual construction, just shut it down. Um, what is he doing now? He's essentially begging Russia not to invade the Ukraine and using their pipeline to Europe, right? If you don't invade, pump all the oil you want through your pipeline. If you do invade, we're going to, we're going to, come after that pipeline, meaning what? Meaning that if you, if you behave like a, a civilized country, you can use all the fossil fuel you want, you can produce it, sell it, do whatever you want. We, the US have to suffer because progressives just don't like the idea of fossil fuels. By the way, Rob, you know, when I moved to California a couple of years ago, the first thing I did was lease an electric vehicle not because I believe that it's it's any better than a gas vehicle in terms of the environment. In fact, what they've shown is that to produce the batteries that go into these cars produces as much carbon dioxide. You'd have to have your electric vehicle for like 10 years to just break even versus a gas-powered car, right? Because it doesn't take a whole lot of CO2 to produce a gas-powered car, but it burns gas and create CO2. But on the electric vehicle, it's all on the production side. And then what do you do with the batteries afterward? Also a huge problem. But I got it because I wanted to be able to turn to the leftist that I live with and say, ah, I'm better than you as you drive your Ferraris and your SUVs. But more importantly, it's cheaper on the short end. I can plug my car in for like two cents and I get 250 miles out of it. So <laughs> I'm avoiding the gas, the gas prices.
0: Well, it, assuming you can uh, get electricity, though, with all the brownouts you have out there in California, because they don't they don't have the coal, you know, they, they, they shut down the refineries. Electricity. Right. They don't want the nuclear to produce. Electric. How do you produce electricity to charge these right. cars? You got to do it. You got to produce it some way. You know, you yep. have like a lightning rod, right? Like the Ben Franklin thing, a lightning way for a lightning storm to hit and then you charge sure. your car and you go running off. Oh my goodness oh well yeah. hey uh, we are running up against the hour here so yep. uh, that's that's all the time we have today not time to get into a, into a new topic. Um, we thank all of you for joining us. We look forward to our our next discussion. As you know our video casts are posted on our Rumble channel. We've officially dumped YouTube. you might still see it out there. We're not posting anything to our YouTube channel um, but they uh, even though you want to close it down they still leave it up for you know a month or so. Uh, I guess so. You maybe you'll change your mind. We're not changing our minds. And uh, also, uh, you won't find it on Facebook because we dump them as well. So uh, you can listen though to our podcast. So you can watch the video cast on our Rumble station, and our podcasts are posted on Spotify, Stitcher, and perhaps other platforms where you listen to your podcasts um, and, and on those uh, platforms where the sensors will allow them to be played. Uh, so if you like the content, please follow us and please uh, spread the word. And I want to thank you again, and may God bless you, and may he continue to bless America.
1: Amen.